Okay, so we're going to have a quick summary here of some of the laws of Mukta. But the goal of this year is going to be as follows. is to show a simple everyday Mukta case, see what we think about it intuitively, and go through some of the processes that take place in giving a final psak, a final halachic rendering on the issue. If anyone needs more source sheets, we have more source sheets here. Okay, so assuming everyone has a little basic familiarity with the idea of mukta, you don't, the idea basically is very simple. There's certain objects on Shabbos which we don't move. Simple. Why don't we move them? If you look at source number one on the source sheet, we have the Rambam, the Rambam and Elsa Shabbos. It says, That the rabbis created a rabbinic takana, a uh, decree, not to move certain objects on Shabbos, the way you would move them during the week. What's the reasoning behind this decree? So if you look, follow the underlines. So Shabbos is not just another day of the week. So you don't spend the whole Shabbos busy with home renovation, moving things around the house. Your wife says, wouldn't that painting look nice over there? Maybe let's move the sofa over here. Because, you know, what was there to do on Shabbos 500 years ago? Not much, except for that. We're not we're in davening, we weren't learning. So therefore, the, the Chazal forbade certain objects from being moved around on Shabbos. And if you look at the next paragraph, the Ode, the Rambam says another reason. If you would be very busy moving items which are generally used for things which are prohibited on Shabbos, perhaps you'd be you know, playing around with your hammer and you'd see a nail, you'd bang the nail in. Or you'd be playing around with your pen and you'd just write something without thinking. So because of that, because you could easily come to do malacha, Chazal Asr forbade the use of these objects. Yes. Isn't that so the word lesakin, I think that's a great deal that you're making. Lahagbia is not right. Right. Excellent. Yeah, lesakin in this context does not mean to fix, like as in to be a handyman, but it means to fix, you know, fix it to make your wife happier with the placement. But that's a good deal. Excellent deal. The Rambam actually says the third reason. We're going to leave that out for now. So the underlying mechanic behind all of Hilchus Muktza is one fundamental idea, and it goes like this. Every human being has a certain perspective on items in their house. Is this a Shabbos item or is it not a Shabbos item? Is this an item which I am planning on using on Shabbos or an item I'm not planning on using on Shabbos? Yeah. Now, Chazal, the rabbis, created rules to determine which falls into which category, but the lumdus, the inner mechanism behind all the rules Chazal made, is based off this principle. If an item is not meant to be used for Shabbos, you're not thinking about it that you're going to use it on Shabbos, then it's going to be muktzah and it's going to be forbidden to be moved. If you are planning on using it on Shabbos, then it's going to be permitted to be moved. And we're going to see some of the halachos now that determine how we apply this idea. But I want to bring this out by giving you the following case. The case happened to me a couple months ago, and I want to get you, what's your intuition about this case? So my son, my three-year-old son, his name is Rafi, says, Tati, can you read me a book? So I say, sure. So he brings me a book from the bookshelf. I'm sitting on the couch. And I open my, put out my hands, and he puts the book down on my hands. Right, so far, so good, right? And I open the book to the first page. On the first page of the book, there's what looks like a little shirt pocket, like a little plastic sleeve. And in that sleeve is a CD. Remember what a CD is from back in the, the dinosaur age? All right? So now we have a question. I'm now holding in my hands a book with a sleeve, and in the sleeve is a CD. So this case actually taps into many of the halachos of mukta. And I sat there on the couch, and I quickly ran through my head everything I knew about mukta. 
And in 30 seconds, I had to make a decision. Can I move this or can I not move this? So we're going to go through this case in detail. And we're going to cover four major topics, hopefully, with Hashem's help, how Muxa works that are all relevant to this topic. So hold on tight. Here we go. <laughs> right. Excellent. Excellent. You know, theoretically, you have that, you know, maybe you have an old car that still has a CD player in it, you know? You're right. I was trying to figure out like, how I would play this. If I wanted to play it in the house, it's really difficult. You know, none of my computers could possibly take anything. Yeah. That is good. Should you use it? There's no way to use it without a lock. Excellent. Use it as a code. True. Yes. Excellent. Yes. If anyone needs more copies of the source sheet, we have more copies over here. And you're holding it already. You're not holding the button, you're holding the book. It's a bus. So you can't keep on touching the book, you can't touch the TV. Turn the page. Okay, so this is the first topic of discussion. Right? When we're talking about a clean, right, a vessel, which is something which is designed by human beings for human use, we have the base, three basic levels of how muksa something is when it's a kli, when it's a man-made vessel. So if you look at source number two, basically all the way through we have just only sources from the Shulchan Aruch and Mepharshim, those who explain the laws of the Shulchan Aruch. So we have the Shulchan Aruch, we have a various other Mepharshim we'll see as we go through. So the Shulchan Aruch says in source number two, Every human vessel can be moved to some degree on Shabbos, except for something which is muksa because it, is gonna, it could cause a loss of money. It's something which is valuable. And his examples are, Kevon, and his reasoning is, Kevon shemakpidin shelo lasos pem tashmish acher. Asr lataltalo b'shabbos. Ba'afilo tzorach makomo lotzorach kufo. Because you have something which is valuable or fragile, you're careful with it on Shabbos, not to use it for another purpose. So therefore, it's going to be called muktza mahmas kasaron kis. It's considered the highest level of muktza. For example, if you have, you know, smartphones, people have different opinions about whether, you know, how careful they are with them. But let's say you have a smartphone not in a case, and it's really expensive, it's the newest edition, you just got it, it's got no scratches on it yet, your kids haven't gotten to it yet. So you're not using that for anything on Shabbos. There's no use of any item that would come up on Shabbos that would necessitate using it. So that would be, I think, an example of Muqsa Mahmas Kassarun Kis. Another example could be, this one's interesting, your passport. Because your passport is not so valuable, it doesn't have a good resale value. But you're careful with your passport. If you see your kid playing with your passport, you'll get a little nervous. So your passport is something which has no use on Shabbos, and anything you theoretically would use it for, you would hesitate for a second. You'd be a little nervous, like, I don't know, like, what, what's going to happen to this? Is your passport in itself more Yeah, because of this idea. In other words, imagine there was an aid in a border crossing. You take your passport across the border. There is, I mean, hypothetically, there is a scenario where your passport on Shabbos. At least there has to be a that's a good point. Right. You know, that's actually a good point. I didn't think of that. Um, generally, I think people don't think of it like that, but it could be that's a fair point. Maybe it's worth a consideration. Right, so you're saying maybe a passport is just another form of ID that you have your driver's license, you have your passport. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe in such a place it would be different, and maybe you're, it's, it's like that in every place. Good point. So, when you have an item which is so valuable that you're worried about it breaking, that's going to have this rule of Muslim Masa Sarun Kis, cannot be moved at all. If you look at the next paragraph in source, the second source, Klishem Laftol Iser, at level 2, if you have a vessel which is primarily used for prohibited functions, Mutilatal you're allowed to move it, Bein Latzarach Kufo, for its own use of itself, Bein Latzarach Makomo, if you need the space where it is. So this is level two. Level two is a klisha matal iser, right? Which is an item whose primary use is for prohibited, prohibited activities. Any suggestions? What's a kli whose primary use on Shabbos is for prohibited activities? 
hammer, right? A hammer is one, a pen, right? These are good examples of things which like you use them in general for prohibited activities. You can theoretically use them for a permissible activity. You could be reading a safer on Chavez. You could want to follow along and have a pen just to follow along, you know? You could have a hammer and you could want to open some walnuts on Shabbos, which is per perfectly permissible, you know? So you have, or you want, you know, your brother's like not really uh, behaving so nicely, you know, and you want to knock some sense into him, so, you know, yeah, be careful with that one, right? So this is called the Klisha Maftal In the third category, we don't have a source down over here, it's the next halacha in the Shulchan Aruch, is a Klisha Maftal Hetzer, which is the opposite of a Klisha Maftal Iser. It's an item whose primary usage is for Hetzer, for permissible activities, even though sometimes it's used for prohibited activities. Anyone have any ideas what's a good object on Shabbos which primarily is used for hetzer? Chair. Chair, excellent, right. You're allowed to sit on Shabbos as far as I know. Anyone else? Anything, right? A fork, a knife, a plate, a safer, right? So the three levels are something that's fragile or valuable, that you'll be nervous about it breaking, cannot be moved at all. Something that's a vessel whose primary purpose is for prohibited usage, like a hammer or a pen, can't be moved to save it from damage, but you can move it if you need the place where it's in, or alternatively, if you want to use it for a permissible usage. If you want to, you know, follow along in the safer, you actually, and you have a pen, you're actually allowed to use it. Now, there's a caveat, you're not supposed to use it for such a usage if you have anything else that could serve the same function that's easily accessible to you. So if you're in shul and you take your pen and you start following along, you're going to get a lot of dirty looks. But now you know why. It's not because the pen fundamentally is mukta. It's because to use a klishem laftola iser, for a prohibited use, for a permissible usage, when you have something else which is totally permissible, is not recommended. And finally, the third category is a klisha maftalaheter, like a cheer, a fork, a knife, which is totally permissible in all scenarios. So now we're going to open up the floor. What is a CD? Is it a Musa Mahmas Hasaron Kiss, klisha maftalaheter, primarily prohibited, or klisha maftalaheter, primarily permissible? Any thoughts? In 2023, it's. Because uh, it feeds a junk. No one cares about it. Good. Fantastic, excellent question. So the Mr. Brewer and Dear Allah says that there's different. Right, excellent, excellent. Says that when it comes to Muqsa Mahmas Hasaran Kis, everything depends on you. As opposed to other laws of Muqsa which are objective, depends on how your Bakla Dayta Itzal Kaladam, we go by how the rest of the world perceives it. When it comes to Muqsa Mahmas Hasaran Kis, depends on you. Because when Shabbos starts, were you planning on using this or is it too fragile? You wouldn't touch it. So it totally depends on you, and that's the correct answer to this question. If a CD is to you something that you gotta eat to your grandmother, so you gotta throw it out when you clean out her house, then it's worthless. So it's, of course it's gonna be a cliche maftal iser, right? Because still its primary use is for iser, if it has any use at all. And therefore you would be allowed to move it, to use it for its own physical form, or to use it if you, if you need to move it just to use its place. But if it's something which you are careful with, you personally, then it will be moved to mahmas because it cannot be moved. Now let's propose, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, we're, you're hitting on an excellent point which we'll get to a little bit later. But the first point we were saying is definitely true. Would, the movement of the thing would be considered Letzorach Makoma. So that would be the difference if it's Musa Mahmas Kassarun Kiss, in which case that would be prohibited. Or if the uh, Klisha Mahmas is, in which case that would be permitted. The, the prohibition would be to actually turn the page? Right, in theory. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna narrow in on that precise point in Bayes, Tiltal Minatzad. So let's leave that aside for one second. But let's propose, just for the sake of the argument to uh, bring out this case, that I want this CD. I have my CD player in the corner, 
that you know it still works and uh, you know grace i can't get a new one so let's hope it still works and i want the cd my son's going to read the book and he's going to put the cd in so he can listen as he's reading i'm planning on using the cd on Sunday, let's say so in that case i would propose then it would be kiss because the cd is a little bit if you guys remember from the good old days it's sensitive if your kids start playing with the cd it's not going it's going to start like like you know getting scratched not working so well. You're a little sensitive how you use the CD. So we move to Mahmas Tassarankis and you would not be allowed to move it. Good point. That's true. But still the object as a whole is the CD. It doesn't become a new object because it's in a case. So the case, you're right. Right, saying when it's in the case, he's saying it's less fragile. But still the object in and of itself is something which you wouldn't use on chalice. Right. Right. No, I, I hear what you're saying, but 100% you're right that theoretically you could have proposed that, listen, a CD in a case, that, uh, that hole, that I would actually would use as a paperweight and I'd use it to whatever I have to do with it. But because each thing is fundamentally a different object, you're right, when they're together, then it's more protected. But most objects which are fragile, if they're in, some pr- if they're in a box with wrapping paper, that's a good question. But definitely over here, I think th- there's a gray area where I think your question is a fantastic question. Over here, I think it's pretty clear that the CD is one object and the case is another object. Because the case is a safeguard for the CD. But it is a fair point. Uh, an expensive yeah. smartphone, is that together than the CD? Like, well, that's different. I think it was a different Yeah. There are some people who, I don't know, I, I, you guys will have to explain this to me. There are some people who treat their smartphones like it's a brick. We'll just like toss it around, let their kids play with it, and like they get a new one every six months. So for them, it would be different, but expensive smartphones, I think you're right about it. Would be most of them. It's expensive or not. Right. Yeah, I actually mentioned that at the beginning, yeah, 100%. Okay, let's go on to section number two, just so we can, I want to make sure we get to as many of these sections. Yes, sorry? That is a fantastic question. It's discussed by the Poiskim. It's a very uncommon question if you think about it. Because it's hard to think of practical examples where that's true. What do you have? A crystal pitcher. Excellent. Would you use it on Shabbos? Right. So if you would practically use it on Shabbos, then it's for sure allowed. Because when Shabbos starts, you're planning on using it, right? All your china, otherwise we just invalidate it. So that's for sure going to be allowed. The case where it becomes a little trickier, you ready for this? Let's say you have a, a family heirloom, a becher, that no one ever uses. It sits in your display case. And it's Kalisha Ma'afel Hetar, right? It's used to drink from. You're allowed to do that on Shabbos. But no one ever touches it. No one ever takes it out. That's the case I thought you were referencing. It's a very rare case. In that case, it's a Kalisha Ma'afel Hetar. But I wasn't planning on using it on Shabbos. So, right, it's basically just for display. Now, what it's going to come down to is, let's say someone really, you know, some big holy rabbi came to your house on Shabbos and you wanted to give him a lot of cover. Would you pull it out and let him use it? If the answer is yes, then, you know, you're planning on using it, so it would be permissible. If it's, it's just a museum piece, you know what I'm saying? It's really just like, you know, some faint... Right, right, that you're never planning on moving it, ever planning it, that, that would be most That would be most That's a fantastic question. Right. Right. So at that point, I think it would become Musa Mahmoud because of the argument you're making. Because I would never use it for any purpose beyond its forbidden purpose. No, you don't use it for its forbidden purpose at all. No one plays it. It's only a museum. It's only brought out to show you. You're right. So in that case, it would be worse than a Klishamapolis. 
right? It would graduate to become Muslim Ahmad Sarkis because it has no permissible use at Shabbos. You're allowed to display it. So that's actually an interesting question. What about a painting? Let's say I have a painting on the wall. What's the use of a painting? To look at it, right? Now, I'm planning on using it on Shabbos since I'm going to look at it, but I'm not, I would never consider moving it. So this is a debate. The Chazanesh said that anything which is permanently fixed into place, you're just going to look at it, is actually Mukta. Many people disagree with him. But by a case where it's something which I'll be very careful moving it, and I would never really consider taking off the wall to do something with it, then most posts can some disagree, but most posts can say that will be considered Mukta because you're totally not planning on doing anything with it on Shabbos. What? He's coming from a base mayor. It's a little complicated. We're not going to get into it now because we're one quarter of the way through the material. So we'll, we'll leave that on the side for now. Let's go on to point number two. Let's say we propose that this CD is prohibited. Yeah? This CD is a Muslim officer's own kiss because it's very fragile. I don't mess around with it. And I'm planning on using it tomorrow. So I'm careful with it. So how about now? So I have a Muqsa CD in a book. But let me ask you a question. I'm not moving the CD. I'm not touching the CD. I'm touching the book. I'm going to take the book and turn the pages of the book and move the cover. I'm not physically touching the CD. Is that called Mukta? So get... Oh, boss is point three. Excellent. So you guys know what I'm thinking about. We're going to get there in a second. Let's go to source number three. We're going to start with Tiltal Menatzad before we talk about bus issues. So the Shulchan says, let's say you saw you want some wine on Shabbos. So you go down to your wine cellar. Of course, you have a wine cellar. And you want to take out one of your barrels of wine. So he says, you go down to the wine cellar and shachach evan al pichavas, in, in source number three, you forgot before Shabbos a stone on top of your barrel of wine, a mois al kar, or money, you've got some money on your pillow. So what do you do? Mata hachavas al tzidava evan neifelas. You can tilt the, the barrel on its side and the rock will fall off. Umenara kar, ba'amoz neiflam, you shake the pillow and the money falls right off. In other words, he's saying the idea we're saying now, tiltul minatzah. I'm moving the pillow or the barrel of wine, I'm not moving the muktzah, and the muktzah is moving by itself. So, indirect movement? Exactly, indirect movement. So, indirect movement is permissible. It's not considered tiltal. However, there are two big limitations that are going to in the next slide. He, we just saw that it's not, you can't pick up the barrel one and just carry it upstairs and put it on your dining room table. You have to shake off the rock, the rock is mukta. Shake off the rock that's on it. Why? Because there's two always criteria you have to apply before you do tiltal minatzad, indirect movement. One is you have a of near. If you are able to shake off the mukta object that's on top of the non-mukta object, you must do that if it won't cause damage to the mukta object. So therefore, in our case, I have a book with a CD, I have a responsibility that if I want to use the book, I have a mukta CD and I have to shake out the CD if it won't cause damage to the CD. Now, let me ask you a question. If I shake out my CD onto the floor of my living room with my kids running around, I'm going to have some big problems now, right? My CD is not going to survive till Sunday when I want to use it, right? So now I can't, do till, I can't do near. So I don't have to do near. But I can take the book, walk across the room with it, and shake out the CD onto a high shelf like one of those over there and let it sit there till Sunday. So now I'm responsible to do that. I don't have to do near on the spot because I can't do near on the spot. It'll cause damage. But I'm allowed to take the book and move it to a place where I could do near. But once I do that, I would be allowed to do tilt on the there are certain cases where, let's say, hard exactly to think of it, let's say you, you know, your wife makes a whole beautiful plate to you, she's ready to serve to all your guests, and then your uh, you know, enterprising son takes your uh, smartphone and puts it on the plate next to all the cookies and all the meat and whatever else is on the plate. So now what do you do now? Like you can't shake the plate off like your smartphone's going to crash onto the floor and shatter. You don't want it on the kitchen counter. It could get ruined by your other son. So what are you going to do with it? So now you don't have a choice. You can't do near can't shake off the muksa, so you, have to, you, you can take the plate, you can bring the plate to the shop, table, put it down the shop, and say, okay, the suda is served, don't eat my smartphone, but the suda is served, right, because there's no way for you to do near. Now, this is criteria number one. There's a second tnai, a second requirement also to do tiltal minatsad, indirect movement, 
And that is, your movement has to be for the sake of the non-mukta item. Meaning, you might ask me the following question. Uh, Rabbi, I got this TV remote that's on a, that fell onto the cushion next to the couch. I want to get it out of here. I don't want it here. Right? Let's say that would be a problem with mukta. So can I just, I, I just want the mukta remote in my bedroom. So can I pick up the, the cushion and just carry it to my bedroom? Because I'm doing tiltum and atzat indirect movement. So the answer is no, you can't. Because you don't want the pillow in your bedroom. You don't want the couch pillow in your bedroom. You want the remote in your bedroom. So doing indirect movement for the sake of the mukta object is prohibited. So just to review, indirect movement will be permissible if it's you if a chi of near. If you can, you have to shake it off. If nothing, will be damaged. And second of all, it has to be for the sake of the permissible object. So let's go back to our case. I got this mukta CD in my book. Do I have to shake it out? And can I shake it out? Or can I just read the book to my son? What do you guys say? Well, taking it to the shelf to shake it out, Excellent, excellent. You're 100% right. That's the, the acronym deal with this question. That they say, I don't understand. How can you bring it to the shelf to shake it out? Then you're doing it for the CD. But because fundamentally what I want to do here, I want to use the book. I don't care about the CD. I'm only shaking out the CD for my chi of near, for my responsibility to get this out of the book. That's considered for the sake of the book. Because it's all ultimately for the sake of the book. That's a fantastic question. You're on the money. Excellent. That's, that's topic number four. You guys are having to topic three and topic four, right? So when it comes to total minatad, theoretically, if the CD is muktzah, I would be responsible to take it to the shelf, let's say, and shake it out. But someone mentioned that we have another problem. If you look at source number four, it's a continuation of the same shulchanach. The shulchanach says, If you put this rock on top of your barrel of wine, midaitai, with knowledge, before Shabbos, you purposely put a rock on top of the barrel of wine. You want to keep the barrel closed or something. Aldas and you had a mind you should stay there on Shabbos. Now the whole barrel becomes mukta. Why? Because a basis is a rule in, in mukta called basis. What does basis mean? Basis means that if I have a table and I put something mukta on top of the table, now we no longer see here a table. You know what we see? We see something that's secondary to the mukta item. Because what's the table doing? The table is servicing the mukta item. It's holding up the mukta item. It's now a support for the mukta item. So Chazal tell us that when I have an object which is servicing a mukta item, it becomes subsumed within the mukta item. It becomes secondary to the mukta item, and it picks up the characteristics of the mukta item. So how is, it, how is that the case that the Shulchan brings out? Excellent. So what did the Shulchan mean? How did he say before I could take the barrel of wine and shake off the rack? No. Well, oh, my question is that this, this stone is not servicing the barrel. The stone is servicing the barrel, the barrel is not servicing the Excellent, excellent, excellent. That's a good question. But despite the fact that I put the rack there for, in my mind for the purpose of servicing the barrel, it's true the rack is servicing the barrel, but the barrel is also servicing the rack, because what's keeping the rack aloft in the air? It's like uh, the chapter joke. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. Extra, the real, credit. Extra credit. <laughs> for another, for another time. But the, the Taz does say an idea similar to you in certain cases. The case he's discussing is a case of the following. You have some sort of coals in like your fire pit, and you want to cook a cookie. You want to bake a cookie. So you put your cookie on the fire pit, but you put some straw or something on top of the cookie, and they're also on top of the coals in order to create a certain amount of insulation. And he says an idea that's similar to your saying. I was, I was sure it's like, my pants hold up my belt. Hold up oh, Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> I got that one from Mitch Hedberg. I don't know where you got that one. Who is the real hero? Who is the real Excellent. Okay, yeah, yeah, very good. So over here, in the case of the rock on top of the barrel, at least, we're going to say, despite notwithstanding your point, right, 
that the barrel is serving the rock and it would create a bustle. So how does the Shulchan Aruch tell us that you're allowed to tilt the barrel? So there's one key word in the Shulchan Aruch. Anyone want to try to make a deal? I can see which word in the Shulchan and, and not yeah, correct. That's the right answer in source four. But look at source three. What key word in source three is the opposite of midaita? Shachach. Exactly. We're particularly talking about a case where it's shachach. I forgot the rock during our Shabbos. And the halacha is, even though if this is muktzah, let's say it's not. Let's say it would have been I put it on the table for Shabbos. I don't want it to be on the table for Shabbos. The table would become muktzah. That's only if I bidash willingly put this on the table with the intent that the table service the watch. But if I didn't intend it to be there, I just forgot it there on Friday, just put it there without thinking, right? Then the table will not become a buses. Because I didn't intend for it to be there. There's a fine line here. Where I put, let's say, when I'm, before I get in the shower and shop, I put my phone down on my dresser, right? I put it there in das. Did I put it there in das to stay there the whole Shabbos? Excellent. The, no. So this precise question is a machlaikas between the base Yosef and the Maril. And we rule like the base Yosef generally, most rabbis who says the following, who says that when you put something down thoughtlessly, without really thinking it through, like when you're going to the shower on, fr- on Friday, particularly on Friday, it's always considered midas. Because, you know, when you put something down, it generally stays there. Sometimes, you know, it just floats off and, you know, flies up in the air, but generally when you put something down, it stays there. So if you put something down 24 hours... Shahach means if I put it there on Wednesday. If I put it there on Wednesday, I'm not thinking about Shabbos at all. Shabbos, I'm supposed to think about Shabbos every day, but I'm not thinking about it in terms of Hilchas Mukta. It's not on my mind at all. But if it's 24 hours for Shabbos, I know Shabbos is coming. If you would tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, Shabbos is coming, it's going to be there on Shabbos. That's the, the base Yosef holds. That's considered sufficiently aware, even if you're not thinking about it at the time, to be considered midas. Yeah. Question. The stone of the house, what's wrong with moving the Excellent question. Two introductions to answer this question. Number one, a stone is muktzah for a reason we didn't mention, because we're only talking about vessels, things designed by human beings. A stone is the strongest form of muktzah. It's called muktzah mahmas gufo, because it has no use objectively. A rock on the street has it. Right, now, number two is your point. If you were miyached this before Shabbos, if you take a non-kli, a non-vessel before Shabbos, there's a whole set of rules as to how you can make it into a kli. I can say this rock, even though it's a useless piece of rock, right? I want to use it as my stopper for my barrel. I want to keep the rats out. There's certain rules as to how you can be miyached for Shabbos. They are complex, and we're not going to get into it today because we got 12 minutes left to cover two more topics. But that is a, you are correct that that's a fantastic question, that there is a way you can take a rock off the street and make that into a vessel to use at Shabbos. Interesting. So you think on Friday he would say? I mean, I don't have the text from me, so you would say on Friday he would be referring to what? If you just left it there and it stayed over Shabbos, it wouldn't be a process. Okay. So maybe he holds like the Maril. Could be. I don't know. Okay. Yes. So that is a question for further research, which you guys will have to do and let me know. Yeah? Okay. So we're going to go now to back to the CD case. So this CD, was I aware of the CD in the book before Shabbos started? No. I'll tell you the truth. I didn't know there was a CD in the book, right? My wife probably bought it. 
They probably said in the front some little letter somewhere, it comes with a CD or something. I didn't even notice that. She didn't notice that. We weren't thinking about this. So is this called Meinyach, that I put it there with Das? I put it there willingly? Or is it called Shahaf that I forgot? What do you guys say? I didn't know about it. Well, you never knew about it. Okay, about it. okay. true. That's true. But presumably that would be included in Shahaf that I didn't intend for this book to service the CD. However, there's a caveat. Here's the caveat. Get a look at page number two. Source six, the Mogan Avram. The Mogan Avram quotes a Taisus. He says, The kina shall tarnagoilim. You have a chicken coop, which an egg was hatched from a chicken on Shabbos. And an egg that was hatched from a chicken on Shabbos is mukta, which was hatched on Shabbos. Kevon shasuyla tarnagoilim. Since the purpose of a chicken coop is to contain chickens and their production, im yesh boy beitzes afrayach, also letaltalah. The ain't a kishacheach el kaminyach. He's saying a very unique, fascinating and unique idea, which is not brought down by a lot of the Paiskim. Mr. Burua at least poskins it. Alter Rebbe possibly poskins it. He likes the Mugganah Brahm. You guys can do the research and tell me. Yeah? If you have a particular item, which is a miyucha, it's designated for one particular usage. It's meant to hold something. But if you put that thing in there, then even if it's shachach, even if you forgot it in there, it's still going to become a bug. Because even if you don't have the willful intent for it to be there, if this is that object's place, it's meant to be here, that's always as if you had Das for it. So if we have a CD case, a CD case is the Makum HaKavua. It's the designated place for a CD. So even though in theory the CD was Shafach, I forgot it there. Right, I didn't put it in there. And some of the store owner put it in there. The factory worker put it in there. Since it's in its designated place, it would have the ability to make a buses. Can you differentiate saying generally CD cases hold CDs, but this is a book? Excellent. Keep right. going, so therefore what? So it's not a, again, most books don't have CDs. Fantastic. CD so of course the CD case is a buses for the CD. But you're asking why is the buses. book a buses for the CD and the CD case? Right, because, okay, introductory point. Let's say this watch would be booked and let's say this wouldn't be booked. This is a terrible example. And I put this on this. Does this table become a buses? The answer is yes, because first this becomes the buses for this, and then this becomes the buses for this. But you're asking a fantastic question: Is the CD a makom kavua? Sorry, is the book a makom kavua for CD cases? Perhaps you could argue it's not. I would argue though that usually books are not a makom kavua for CD cases. But this book had this CD case glued into it, meaning that when they built this book, they built it with the thought that they're going to be gluing the CD case into it. So you could argue that this book indeed becomes a Makam Kavua for the CD case because it was built, manufactured to be there. Even know. Right. The whole idea of Makam Kavua says that even if I didn't know, even if I had no willful intent, the fact that this is the designated place means it's where it's supposed to be. So it's as if I had intent for it. So therefore, if you think about it, topic number three we're discussing over here about buses kind of undoes topic number two. Because if the CD is Mukta, because I want to keep it, I'm planning on using it on Sunday, and it's considered meniach midas, that I willfully put it there, that's going to make the book of buses. Now, total menatzad, indirect movement, is not going to help me anymore. Because indirect movement helps me when I have something mutter and something aser, right? Then I can move the mutter thing for the sake of the mutter thing, even though there's something aser on it. But if the aser thing made the mutter thing aser, now they're both prohibited, right? Now I have two prohibited things. Now there's nothing to, that's, a, that's permissible for me to move indirectly, right? Because now everything's prohibited. So if we would say this idea, which I understand there might be room to disagree with it, that the CD, CD's place is in the CD case. So now the CD case is a buses. And the CD case's place is on the book. 
So now the book is a basis. So now the whole thing is prohibited. So now I'm stuck here, sitting here with this book, which is actually mukta, that totally can't be moved in any way, shape, or form, sitting on my lap, and I'm holding it, and I'm toast. So what am I going to do? That would more apply to a book that has like one of those books that sings or yeah. yes. has a, like, press right. I'm, I'm, so it's like attached. Uh-huh. The, the, my, my perspective is that despite the fact that it's not as kavua as in that case, the fact that the CD, the CD was, the book was manufactured to have the CD and it's glued in, that would be enough to make it a kavua. I do think you could disagree with that, but that's my perspective. So therefore, I'm now stuck. Once you have yeah. it, once you picked it up. That's the next one. Ah, now we're on to number four. Number four is as mentioned first by this gentleman over here, and now by this gentleman over here. We have the fascinating concept of Odubiado, and you're going to have to tell me what the Alta Rebbe holds about Odubiado, because I don't know. But I'll tell you what the Mogan Avram and the guy hold about, the girl hold about Odubiado. Yeah? The whole question is like this. Chazal said, you have something mukta, you're not allowed to pick it up. You're not allowed to move it. You're not allowed to shake it. But let's say... I had something in my hands that was Muqtah when Shabbos started. I'm not picking it up. It was in my hands already. Am I allowed to continue to move it? So if you look at source number seven, which should be after this, the Indian Odebiado, that's a mistake. Source number seven is the Ramah. The Ramah says, Shabbos. If you, Shabbos started, and you, let, and you discovered you have your wallet still upon you, so if you're in your house, you don't have any hotel, you don't have any area of problems, you can go into the back room. You untie your belt where your wallet is attached to. The lipo sham, it'll fall off in this, this sequestered private room where no one's going to make off with your wallet. That's the Ramah. So in source number 8, the Mogan Avram says, Why can you take it with you? It's not physically in your hands, but it's already, you're holding it, you're moving it, so it's already in your possession. Mogan Avram says a fantastic chilish. He says that everything that Chazal said, that you're not allowed to move Mokta on Shabbos, is you're not allowed, there's a Mokta object on the table, you're not allowed to start moving it. But if you're already holding it, it's already in your pocket, it's already on your person, you're already holding it. If you're already holding it, you can do whatever you want with it. You already transgressed the prohibition of Mokta. Or if it started in your hand, not on Shabbos, then you, already, you didn't even transgress the prohibition of Mokta. You can do whatever you want with it. And all rules of Mokta are off. Now, the, just, for, just for the full disclosure, the Magen Avram then says, okay, so what should come out based off this is that if you ever want to move something Muktzah on Shabbos, make sure you're holding it when Shabbos starts. You know, maybe hold the whole Ben shows, you know, make sure you hold it till Rabbi Natam, whatever you want, right? However, whatever you want to do. And then you can do whatever you want with it. So he says, no, 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 no. Of course you're not allowed to do that. It's before in the Gemara in a few different places you're not allowed to do that. It's on Shabbos. He says, this whole idea is if you ended up holding it. Of course, ideally, you shouldn't try to engineer a situation where you can move it. Of course, that's not what Chazal wants. Excellent. Yeah, that's the Ramah's case. Now, the Mishnah piece is not the case of the Gemara. It's the case of the Ramah, and the Ramah's coming from a little bit of a different perspective, but you are right. Yeah? So the Magad Avram says, this, we're talking about a situation where this is what ends up happening. You end up either forgetting and accidentally picking up something that's mukta, or, like in my case, your son put it in your hands. If your son put it in your hands, it's ready in your hands. Therefore, the Magad Avram would allow you to move it. The Vilna Gain disagrees. The Vilna Gain, if you look at source number nine, Says, the Magan Avram's opinion is once you're holding it, you can bring whatever you want. And there's no problem of carrying it. The Gemara's case, which the Magan Avram is talking about, which I didn't bring down over here, the Gemara is talking about the following case. The Gemara is talking about a case where it used to be that instead of having a siren that went off before Shabbos, there was someone who had a big shofar, or a big katosros, big trumpets. And when Shabbos would start, they would blow the trumpets like a minute before Shkia, and then everyone would know it's Shkia, you gotta stop doing all Malacha in whatever, some cities in Europe. So the Gemara, well, actually, not in some cities in Europe, the Gemara is talking. In 2,000 years ago in Baba. 
So the Gemara is discussing a case where that person then didn't put the shofar or the chatzotros down, they continued to hold it. What's the halacha of the, the shofar or the chatzotros? That's the case the Gemara is talking about. So the, the Vilna Gain explains that this halacha, that you're allowed to continue to move it, does not apply in any case where I end up holding muktzah in my hand. In that case, I'm limited. If I forget and I pick up muktzah on Shabbos, then i got to just drop it. Stop dropping it. The whole idea that there's a leniency when you're already holding it is particularly when before Shabbos started, I picked it up. Why is it different? He says, because in that case, I didn't do anything wrong. I did something that was totally permissible. I picked up the shofar. So he agrees to the fundamental idea of the Mogan Avram that what the Chazal forbid initiating a relationship with it. But when you initiate a relationship with it, Be'isr, he said, then Chazal do not allow you to continue moving it. Then you got to just drop it. But if I started the heter, if I picked it up when it was allowed. So the gather is, it actually comes up in another case, it's actually fascinating. Here's a very practical question. If anyone has ever done a mila, if anyone is a moha, on Shabbos, you're allowed to do bris mila. However, there's a big controversy, what do you do with the knife? Because theoretically, if you're a moel and you've got an Ismail shell mila, right, the knife you use for a bris mila, that is a very sensitive, delicate knife. You don't want to get a nick in it, you don't want to mess it up. It's a muktzah mahmasa kiss. But if I am planning on doing a mila on Shabbos, I'm the moel, then perhaps for me it's not muktzah, eh, it's a little more complicated than this, I'm leaving out some of the complications. So where this Odaviado question comes up primarily is in Simon Reish Samachvav, where that conversation comes up. The question is, after the moel does the bris mila, what does he have to do with the knife? Does he have to drop it? Because now it, it can't be used anymore. Right, he picked it up in Hatter. So this is the case where, for him, it was for sure allowed to do the, to do the bris mila. So he had a real Hatter to pick up the knife, since he did nothing wrong. Which means that his tiltal, his movement to the knife, initiated with Hatter. So the Gun would agree that he could move Right, so in that case, the Gun would agree. However, the case is, let's say someone picks something up by accident. So they initiated a Be'isr. So when they initiated a Be'isr, the, the Mugan of Ram says, listen, once you're holding it, then you're holding it. Chazal only asked her picking it up. Once you're holding it, Chazal never talked about it. Okay, so do whatever you want. And the only guy says no. And there are many I've heard of also, like the only guy, yeah. Does the guy uh, disagree with the Magen Avram? Yes. Or it's a matter of interpretation? The Magen Avram is sort of ambiguous about it. Magen Avram is not so ambiguous. He says, In other words, he doesn't understand whether it's the Isser or the Hatzah. Right. He right. says that explicitly? He says that explicitly. One second, let me fade it here. Yeah, he, he's pretty short. The, yeah. For sure, the Goyim thinks that the Magen Avram is saying like the way I'm saying it. These gentlemen are proposing, maybe the Magen Avram himself really thinks like the Vilna Goyim. That's what they're proposing. I, I think off the top of my head, the, the Magen Avram is pretty awesome. I think for the context of the Gemaras he's coming from, it's clear that he's also including cases you picked it up accidentally, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head clearly enough to say not like that. And we're just running out of time here, so we're going to quickly get to the punchline. So theoretically, there's going to be a leniency. If I'm already holding Mokta, according to the Magen Avram, too late. I already I violated this already, but going forward, I continue to move it. So let me ask you a question. Even if the CD is kiss, it's totally prohibited to move, because I'm planning on using it tomorrow when it's very fragile. And the makom kavua, the CD, is in the book. So even if it would be theoretically shachach, I forgot it there, it would still become a basis anyway. Right? Now everything is prohibited. I say, no problem. Let me just read my son the book. Because it's Oda Biyado. I'll go like the Magen Avram. If I would do such a thing. Right? And according to the Magen Avram, once I'm already holding it, it's already in my hands, I didn't pick it up, my son dropped it in my hands. I'm not allowed to create the situation, but I didn't, I didn't do this on purpose, that wasn't my intent. Let me read the book to my son. So theoretically you have an ability to be made like the Magen Avram. Don't know what the Alter Rebbe says, 
But I will tell you what the Mishnah Brewer says. The Mishnah Brewer says, he says all three, there's really a third opinion which I didn't mention, which is in the middle between the Magen Avram and the Vilnagon, who said he brings down all three opinions and he's not machriya, he doesn't decide. Which generally when the Mishnah Brewer does that, it's interpreted to mean that he's saying that depending on the situation, that's how you should behave. If it's a situation of pressing heat, you can be makele, you can be lenient like the Magen Avram. If it's a situation of not such pressing heat, aka I have a whole other shelf of books I could read to my son, then you should be trying to be machmer for the Vilnagon. So we would not be able to use the Heter of Odebiyah. So, based on everything that's been presented so far, and then we're going to let you guys go, what do you guys say? What's the halacha in the case? You're sitting on the couch and you're holding the book with the CD in. What do you do? Who wants to give a shot? Ah, no. So what do you say? Speak it out. What's, what's the halacha? You're the rabbi. Speak it out. Oh, you're saying it's going to be really annoying. For Oda Biada. And you have one of the books. I do think you're right in terms of the underlying reasoning, but we're talking here about a takana chazam. So when chazam made a takana, well, we don't have to. Uh, if you want, as a chumrah, you know, as a you know, as your own personal stringency, you are entitled to do that. But from a halachic perspective, you don't have to apply the reasoning of chazal beyond where they themselves instituted. Yeah. Magen Avram, Magen Avram, there you go. Okay, so it's not, as you know, it's not only the only guy, there are many other Akhanah who are also are Khoshah, the only guy. This is Muktagama. This is the case of Muktagama because we're discussing Muslim 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 between Muqtza Mahmaz Gufo and Muqtza Mahmaz Kisarukis and other types of Muqtza, like a Klisha Malfalis. So perhaps that's what Al-Zarab is referring to when he says Muqtza Mahmaz. So Rabbi, how do you talk to like anyone else? How do you actually... So in this case, which happened... Yeah. Now you go throw it out. As far as I can throw it out, once you pick it up, you can take care of your own. Like you said, So it depends on... I, I, my perspective, after having learned through the Sugya and seeing the Mishnah Gura, 
is I'll be the Mishnah Brewer that at the end of the day, if it's a situation where I could just drop and it's no big deal, like in this case, my son doesn't really care about this book that Maybe he'll like whine for 10 seconds, it doesn't count, you know? I'll drop and I'll read him another book. Now, I happen to think that for me, in this particular case, I was with you. I don't care about a CD. I would throw the CD out as soon as Shabbos is over, so it's not a problem next week, right? So the CD for me was a Klisha Matal Iser. Klisha Matal Iser is Mutter Letzorah Kufo. So even if the CD would be a basis to the case, and the case would be a basis to the book, I actually read the book to my son, because at the end of the day, worst case scenario, the whole book for me is a Klisha Matal Iser. And a Klisha Matal Iser is Mutter Letzorah Kufo. So for me, the whole thing was a moot point. But you're 100% right that I would generally go with the Mishabro. I think you're right. Tilt to Goofy, you have to be a little careful. But yeah. 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 Bosses says that whatever laws the Muksa itself has, those are just moves from the thing on top to the thing on bottom. So it'll be limited by whatever limitations are in the thing on top. But just like a rock, you can kick it with your foot. You know what I'm saying? So by the same token, the bosses, you can also kick with your foot. Yes. Correct. The Chazanish and Sasser and other Yechidim believe have a whole alternative understanding of the Sligi of Tzolta Begufai. And there are many who are stringent for that opinion. I cannot tell you I'm one of them. Uh, but uh, don't, I'm not. I'm no big man to Omar here. I got no opinion. I'm just after having learned the Sligi, it seems to me that Rav Zeri Shainim would not do, do not fit with that. Hava. But that's just my opinion. Tzolta Begufai. is, if I'm not moving something in any normal way, I'm moving it with a foot or an elbow or a shoulder, uh, I'm blowing yeah. something. Right, Kachar, yeah, exactly. So that sort of total, according to most opinions, is considered not even movement at all, and it's permissible about anything in any scenario, and basically obvious It is. Now, I will tell you, last Pesach, my wife left her, well, actually, she, she, she left it on her bed. Some little kid ran into the room, took the MacBook off her bed, and put it onto the Yanto table, right? Great. So, her, her laptop. So we come back from shul, and there's this laptop on the table, and everyone's like offering their opinions, you know, it's like, you know, Two Jews, three opinions, you know what I'm saying? So like everyone has their own, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this. And, a certain, and like I, I was invalidating all their reasonings because the laptop is pretty common. And I did not want anyone taking my wife's laptop with their teeth and with their elbows. I'm like, this is going to end terribly. My schwer, after a while, lost patience the whole thing. Literally walked through the whole crowd of people, picked up with his elbows and just started making off to towards our room with it. And he actually dropped it halfway there. Oh. There was mamish and nasmena shemayim. There was a crack on the floor, and it like fell into the crack, like with the corner. It was like sitting up like this. You wouldn't believe it. We're like we're gonna make a make a you know a student side for this laptop. But bar hashem, once it's on the floor, I was easily able to just kick it into a corner, and it was fine. So bar hashem, the laptop survived. And with this, we're gonna conclude this year. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you very much. Absolutely.